Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. I think we make a mistake sometimes uh, because in the South, we think of the South being the Bible Belt. And, um, and I think due to that, we have this misconception that because we're in the South and there's churches on every corner, that that means that everybody believes the Bible's God's Word. But that's not the case anymore. Uh, not even in our churches, regrettably, that's not the case, and especially not the case in our culture. So that's why we're doing this series, trying to help us understand how important it is for us to have the the correct view of Scripture, to know that it is God's Word, to know it's trustworthy, to know that we can can take it and and apply it to to our lives. Uh, There's a need in the day that we live in for us to kind of restore the, the Bible to the to the table of debate inside of our culture, to where people at least consider the possibility of it being true, to where they will, uh, will apply it to their lives. <clears throat> In this series up to this point, uh, we've looked at uh, some topics that go along with a book that some of you are, are studying in your small groups. Uh, the book is entitled, Seven Reasons Why uh, You Can Believe the Bible. Uh, and we're kind of taking those titles and, and using them in, in this series of the chapters. Uh, up to this point, we've talked about a logical reason to believe the Bible. And a logical reason is, is more or less this. It's us allowing the Bible to give a testimony about itself. And the reason that should be logical is that we are allowed to share information about ourselves that no one else could know if we fail to share that. So God shares with us through His Word, reveals to us through His Word things that we could not know otherwise. So that's why it is a valid argument for us to say we ought to believe the Bible from a logical standpoint. We also have talked about the historical reason to believe the Bible. And in that message, we more or less looked at archaeology and how many discoveries have supported the Bible. Last week, we looked at prophecy and how prophecies that have been fulfilled should give us the confidence we need to believe the Bible. Now, I I loved last week. I had some of you come up and say that that you loved last week. You're glad you got all the notes uh, handed to you because we were having some projector problems last week, so we printed out uh, a larger handout. I, I will tell you, I probably won't do that all the time, but if you wanted any given Sunday, my email's uh, located there in the updates every week. You can send me an email. I can send you the whole document to where you can have it at home and and study it. But uh, I just love the way we can look in the Old Testament and see hundreds of years before something actually happened that God had said it would happen. I mean, so specific that he even names names, and those same names come true uh, hundreds of years later. Today we're going to look at our, our fourth reason why we ought to believe the Bible is God's Word. And it's simply, there's a fancy uh, doctrinal word up there, Christological reason, and that simply means this. Jesus believed the Bible. And we need to look at the fact that Jesus believed the Bible and, and give that credence in our own lives. That if Jesus believed the Bible, then, then we ought to believe the Bible. See, here's kind of the foundational thing about that. If you think when you try to deny Scripture or try to believe this part of the Bible is not true, that part of the Bible is not true, here's the danger with that. Jesus quotes those passages of Scriptures. And when we try to say, well, we don't really believe the Bible's true, oh, we love Jesus over here, you can't have it both ways. Either Jesus is God in the flesh, and Jesus clearly knew what he was talking about, or Jesus was carrying out some type of farce. And you can't go both directions with it. So we're going to look today at passages of Scripture that Jesus quoted, that Jesus believed in. And, and for you to think, well, no, I'm just kind of attacking the Bible. I don't necessarily believe all the Old Testament. Here's what you've done. By doing that, you attack the deity of Christ. When, when someone tries to tear apart the Bible and, and disbelieve the Old Testament. Now, in, in the message today, I'm going to be talking about 
passages of the Old Testament Jesus believed, and somebody might be thinking, well, why didn't you just say Jesus believed the whole Bible? Well, he does, but at the time Jesus was saying these things, the New Testament wasn't written yet. So that's why we're looking at at how Jesus believed things in the Old Testament. The, The danger, what we also have in our culture is this. We live in a day and time when people want to mold Jesus into being the Jesus that they like. To, to, to be in the, the Jesus that, uh, that maybe uh, only addresses things in their lives that they like, and they don't want a Jesus that's so authoritative that, that they have to change their life in some way. So it, it's like we've changed things. It, it's like our culture today, especially uh, some secular scholars and, and liberal theologians, they want to change Jesus from being the Jesus of the Bible. And they want to mold Jesus to be the Jesus that they want instead. Well, there's some scripture that I want us to deal with foundationally before we kind of get in the main part of the message that deals with, with that type of thought. Uh, Isaiah said this, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made shall say of its maker? He did not make me or the thing formed say of him who formed it. He has no understanding. Then in chapter 64, Isaiah said this, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You're our potter and we are all the work of your hand. Now, if how many of you have ever seen a, a clay on a potter's wheel, ever been to see pottery actually made? I don't mean the Waccamaw pottery stuff that's just sitting out there, you know. But, but you've seen someone put the, the, the clay on a table and they're spinning it. I've seen that several times because my, my wife loves pottery. I could have cared less, but I had to learn to love pottery because Becky loved pottery and uh, everything. And I know I can bless her with a new piece of pottery to add to her collection uh, sometimes. Problem is we're starting to run out of space, so uh, we may sell you some old stuff so I can buy her some new stuff sometime. But any time we have ever been anywhere and, and watched some pottery being made, being spun out on the potter's wheel, I have yet to see a piece of clay talk to the potter and say, I want you to make me into a cup. Or, or I want you to make me into a pitcher. And that potter have to listen to the clay speak to it. No, you see, the, the potter instead has control over that clay, and he molds that clay in what he wants it to be. That ought to be our mindset when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to God the Father, the Holy Spirit, when it comes to the Bible. Our, our mindset ought to be this. We're the clay. He gets to mold us. It's not the other way around. See, Isaiah said, you've turned things upside down. Guys, we, lived in a, we live in a world that's turned upside down. We live in a world that thinks they have the right to mold God or mold Jesus into being who they want him to be. But that's why we're doing things like this series to try and turn things right side up. To where people understand the, the need to believe and trust in the Bible. I want to give you a quote from a guy by the name of Augustine. And uh, Augustine, what you notice when he lived, he lived from 354 to 430 A.D. That's been a while, right? I wasn't around them, regardless of how old some of you think that I am. I wasn't around them. You weren't around them. I want you to notice what he said addressing a problem in his day. Here's what he said. If you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. Now, Now think about that. Think about when he said it. Because when I read that quote this week, putting the sermon together, I thought to myself, what in the world would he say today? If he said it back then, that people were trying to change the scriptures and trying to change the gospel into what they believe instead of what the Bible really, really says. So let's look at some Christological reasons. Let's look at, at Jesus believing the Old Testament and allow that to give us additional evidence as to why you and I ought to believe the Bible is the Word of God. To begin with, if you're following along in your notes, I, I put a lot of the verses there in notes. By the way, guys, uh, I, I don't have a lot of time today to do much more than read scriptures to y'all. But I honestly think that's okay because I believe the Bible can speak for itself. Amen? Do you think it can? 
uh, in all. And I think sometimes it's sufficient to let the Bible do that. And I will be making some comments, but we just don't have time today for word studies and a whole lot of illustrations and things because there's so much scripture. Because you see, if I'm going to prove to you that Jesus believed the Old Testament, I need to point out to you the Old Testament passage of scripture, and not all of them, at least give you a pretty good sampling today, that, that Jesus said was true. That, that Jesus said he believed. So to begin with, Jesus believed the history of the Old Testament. He believed the history of the Old Testament. I'll give you four examples, not an exhaustive list, but just four examples. The first example is Adam and Eve. Now this passage will pop up probably two or three times in the message today. But in Matthew 19, Jesus answered, have, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, I'll address that a little bit later in the message, but what I simply want you to see right now is that Jesus is pointing back to the creation story. He's pointing back to Adam and Eve, and he's verifying that it's true. He's verifying that they are authentic, real people, and Jesus points to them. Jesus also pointed to the flood. Because a lot of people say, oh, sure, there was never anything like that. That's just a, you know, a big fable. You know, Noah making a big boat. God putting all the animals on board and, and everything like that. Well, here's what Jesus said. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. In other words, Jesus points back at the flood and Jesus said, hey, that's real. That, that's history. That's true. That's happened. A lot of people question whether Moses really existed or not. Well, Jesus said Moses was real and he existed. And here's one instance of it in John chapter 3. By the way, John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, what comes next? 16. John 3, 16. The, the, the Bible verse that so many of us love to point to. Well, you, you can't just have that and not look at the rest of it. And here, Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, a little bit of background of that story is this. The uh, children of Israel, because of their rebellion, God has sent fiery serpents in to bite them. Moses goes before God and prays uh, for God to give him a resolution where he can help all the people. And God told Moses to do this. He said, make a brass serpent, put it on a pole and hold it up. And when the people look to it by faith, you tell them to look to it by faith, they will be healed of the snake bite. That is a picture and a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he was put on a pole for us. And we were bitten by a serpent called sin. And the only by looking at him by faith can we be forgiven, can we be healed of our sin problem. But the point I'm making this morning is simply this. Jesus said Moses was real. He, he said that this really, really happened. And there's a lot of other statements. You'll see some of them today in, in the New Testament. Jesus also believed this. Believe it or not, Jesus also believed in the story of Jonah. Now, that's one people really love to kindly doubt because they'll say, how in the world could a man survive in the belly of a huge fish or a whale for three days and three nights? Well, I, I don't know how to exactly tell you all that scientifically. I, I do know to tell you this. Jesus said it happened. Jesus refers to it because Jesus used it as a sign of his own death and burial and resurrection. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. They're wanting a sign about whether or not Jesus was really the Messiah. And he said, well, it's an evil and adulterous generation that only looks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying that Nineveh repented just because a guy got up out of the, the, the belly of a whale and showed up in Nineveh and started preaching. Jesus is saying there's one greater than that that's here because here's what's going to happen. They're going to nail him to a cross. They're going to put him in a tomb. They're going to seal the tomb. They're going to put an armed guard there. But guess what? He's going to take his life back up again. And that ought to be evidence for us that the Bible's true. But Jesus is saying even the story of Jonah is authentic and true. 
Now, now that's just some samples of Jesus believing the history of the Old Testament. Jesus also trusted the authority of the Old Testament, the authority of the Old Testament. In other words, the, the Bible should be authoritative in our lives. The, the, the Bible has the authority to stand for itself. The Bible has the authority to give us principles that we need to apply to our lives. Now, I probably won't read all these verses, but there's some bold parts in it that I'll, I'll catch. Some of them I'll, I'll read. But like I said, we've got a lot of scripture today. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you're wrong? He's looking at this religious crowd. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And they're kind of having a debate about the resurrection and whether or not there would be marriage in, in, you know, after the resurrection, marriage in heaven. And he said, for when they rise from the dead, they're neither marrying nor giving in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? So he, he gives them an example from the book of Moses saying that the Bible is authoritative, that the Bible should have uh, authority. Look at some other verses that, uh, that we can look to. Jesus, once again, talking to this religious crowd, the scribes and the Pharisees, he calls them hypocrites. Now, I'm going to read you a passage in a little while that uh, he calls them a whole lot more hypocrites. But, but he says, for you tithe the mint and the deal and the coming and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. The, the Pharisees were known for doing the, the little smallest parts of the law, like tithing to that degree, so they could let other people know they had done it, so people would think, man, how spiritual you are. You know, how, how great you are. Uh, because their motives were all wrong, completely messed up. Their motives was look at me, not look at God. And that's what their motive was. And Jesus said, well, you might have done that, but you've neglected the most important thing. The things that you should have been practicing, such as justice and mercy and faithfulness in the relationships that you have with other people. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. And the reason this statement is important, there's also movements afoot in our day and time to say, well, yes, we believe in Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. But we don't necessarily believe all this other stuff. And, and now Jesus has come along, so you know, we just need to focus on Jesus, and we don't need to worry about all this other stuff as though Jesus made all the other stuff just kind of disappear. Jesus said, I didn't do that. He, he said, I've not come to abolish them, but I came to fulfill them. So Jesus isn't just ignored and causing the Old Testament to be non-existent. He came to fulfill those things. Matthew 23, then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes of the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you. Now freeze that for a moment. Because Jesus is telling them what they are telling you. If it's based upon the Bible, here's the point that Jesus is making. If it's based upon God's word, you need to do what they tell you. But then Jesus went on and said, but don't do like they do because they're not obeying what it says themselves. But still, Jesus is pointing to the authority of the Old Testament and saying, even though those who are telling you the truth of the Bible are practicing it, he's saying, you still need to pay attention to what the Bible has to say. John chapter five, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and as they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my father's house and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. In other words, Jesus could because he's God in the flesh. But notice what he says. And this points back to the Old Testament again. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. He, he said, if you really believe God's word, you'd be believing what Moses says. And he said, Moses wrote about me. So if you're really believing the words of Moses, you'd believe what I'm telling you when Jesus was telling them that in fact he was the Messiah. And yet they were rejecting God's 
word. Jesus believed in the history of the Old Testament. Jesus believed in the authority of the Old Testament. Jesus also does this, though. He approves the morality or the conduct of the Old Testament. And we're going to look at some examples of that. One would be in the spiritual realm here as far as, man, what's most important? The, the great commandment. Jesus had a young man come up to him and ask him, well, what in the world is the most important commandment? And what Jesus responded to them was this. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And then he said, second to it is that you need to love your neighbor as yourself. So in response to the current day question in the day of Jesus, Jesus, tell me what's the most important commandment. Jesus points to the Old Testament. Jesus points to the law. And he says this, you're to love God first. God is to have the most important spot, place in your life. Jesus also pointed toward the Old Testament morality in terms of the definition of marriage. The definition of marriage. In Matthew 19, we read part of this a moment ago. Jesus answered them, have you not read? And anytime you see that in the Bible, it's really Jesus saying this. God said this. Aren't you paying attention to it? When he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and, what does it say? Female. He's, he's getting ready to talk about marriage, about them being joined together. He doesn't say male and male, and he doesn't say female and female. I, I'm not trying to make anybody uncomfortable this morning, and I'm not trying to come across as, as um, bigoted in some way, and you'll see why in, in just a minute. I'll be pretty clear in just a minute. That's not what I'm doing. But at the same time, we as Christians cannot be afraid to hold to what the Bible says. And that doesn't mean we have to be mean-spirited about it. We, we don't need to be hateful about it. We need to communicate it in a way that people will hear. That we need to understand, or they need to understand that we're not just trying to condemn them as a person. We're condemning their actions and their, and their choices. Jesus loves them as much as he loves me or anybody else. Jesus died on the cross for them also. But, but we can't reel back in the truth of the gospel just because our, our culture, or the truth of the Bible, just because our culture is trying to push that upon us. He said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, so that they're no longer two but one flesh. What God therefore has joined together, let no man Separate. So when, you, when you're looking at, at the terms of marriage, Jesus defines it as being between a man and a woman. I understand that's a huge debate in our culture. I understand people want us to accept homosexual marriage and same-sex marriage. And we want to accept it as though there's nothing wrong with it. My problem with that is this. It's not up to me. It, it, it's not up to me to set the rules. It's not up to me to change the rules. It's not up to the Supreme Court to change the rules. God is the one that's in supreme authority. And God has clearly spoken in his word that marriage is supposed to be between a man and between a woman. And we must hold to the truth of that, but do it in the right way. Uh, I'm reading a book uh, right now by James Emery White. And uh, he's the pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church. And the book is about Generation Z, which is a generation from 1993 to 2012 that was born through there. And it's kind of the, the generation that you're seeing a lot on the college campuses. They're wanting the college campus to be a safe zone where they don't have to hear anything they disagree with. You've heard me allude to this before. I thought in college I was supposed to be challenged a little bit to think, you know. Uh, and all, but they, but they don't want to be confronted with anything that they, that they do not believe in whatsoever. Uh, and, and yet we can't, we can't reel back what the Bible says. But in, in a chapter in this book that, uh, James Emery White entitled Finding Our Voice, he, he's making the point that we have to be able to communicate with this generation that's coming up. 
And we have to find a way to communicate with them. I mean, there's a balance in it. We have to be able to communicate the truth and hold to the truth, but be sure we do it in a way that leaves open doors to where we can still try and to, to communicate the gospel to them instead of just losing a whole generation because they've been so impacted by culture. Now, you guys know that you have rarely ever, ever, ever heard me call another pastor's name from the stage. But in terms like this, when there's great heresy involved, I think you need to hear it to where you will be on guard against maybe reading something down the road. Uh, And James Emery White does this in this book. There's a pastor that was part of the emergent church movement by the name of Rob Bell. He wrote a book in 2011 entitled Love Wins. That sounds like that's a great topic. Thank God for the love of God. Amen. Thank God for grace and mercy. But in the book, he surmised this, that somehow everybody's going to heaven, whether you trust in Jesus or not. He, he was proposing universalism. That's what he was proposing. But that's what he said in the book. So I already knew about that. Well, in, in James Emery White's book that I'm currently reading, uh, he talked about Rob Bell and his wife appearing on the Oprah Winfrey show. And it was one of her like super spiritual Sunday type things or whatever. I forgot the exact title that she gave it. Rob Bell said this. He said that the church does not accept same-sex marriage and homosexuality, that we're going to become more and more irrelevant. Then he went on to say this. He said that if the church continues to hold to 2,000-year-old letters, this is what he's talking about. 2,000-year-old letters that we're going to become completely irrelevant in our culture. With that statement, what he did was just throw the Bible out the door. And James Henry White correctly says this. He said, if we don't hold to the Scriptures, the church will become irrelevant in our culture. Because we're the ones that are here to do that. To hold what thus saith the Lord is. Instead of shrinking back from it and, 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 holding, and holding to it. Jesus said marriage is between a man and a woman. Jesus also looked and talked about the Old Testament morality concerning judgment upon sexual sin. Upon sexual sin. He referred twice here in, in scriptures to Sodom and, and Gomorrah. And I'm not going to take time to read those because you can look them up later, but Jesus points back to Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and he points back to it as being a historical event that really happened and people were judged and condemned because of the practice of that lifestyle in, in, when Sodom and Gomorrah was judged. Now, what I want to serve notice to us about is this. And if you want to, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. My opinion is what this says. And, and I'm, not, I'm not homophobic. I've got friends that, that have practiced a homosexual lifestyle. I, I've gone out and taken them out to eat before and, and, and talked with them. And try, you see, it, it, if, we, if we don't love them, who's going to? You know, to, to try and get the gospel to, to them. So, but, and, and we'll have... And we'll have people visit here and maybe come for a while. And then they'll ask me, well, what do you think the Bible says? Well, I think the Bible says it's a sin, you know. And and that has to be the stance we have to take based on the Bible. Um, Amen? But what we do so many times in conservative Christian circles is just shout and scream about homosexual sexual sin. And Jesus says things like this in Matthew five twenty seven. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust one tent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if every man here would be honest before God, you'd have to say we're all guilty of having done that. 
I'm just trying to get you to see that Jesus points to Old Testament morality. And we need to hold to Old Testament morality. But we can't afford as a church to pick and choose what we name as sin. Because Jesus calls other things sin when it comes to adultery and it comes to lust. And we have to be fair and proclaim all of it. And if we're not, all we do is open up the door for the people we're trying to reach of other lifestyles to say, see there, see there. All you do is talk about our sin. You never ever talk about somebody else's sin. Jesus pointed to the Old Testament morality concerning judgment upon sexual sin. Now, now the next passage I'm going to read, the reason I'm reading this next passage of Scripture is this. There are those who try to propose this. There's there's secular scholars and liberal theologians in, in our world that try to say this. They'll try to say, well, Jesus really didn't believe all that stuff. He, he really didn't believe all that in the Old Testament. But because he was here for a different purpose, he, he just didn't bring that up as a debate because he didn't want to kind of kind of stir the, the waters up unnecessarily. He, he, he just kind of shied away from some of those things. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> the passage I'm about to read you gives me the sense that Jesus wouldn't shy away from anything. And, and if some of the Old Testament that they want to believe is wrong, and they'll say, well, Jesus just didn't say it was wrong because he didn't want to cause a big issue in, in everything. I, from this passage of Scripture, it doesn't look like to me Jesus has a problem telling somebody something is wrong if it's wrong, or they're wrong if they're wrong. And I'm simply telling you that Jesus would have said and corrected things in the Old Testament. Look what he said to the religious crowd of that day. He, he's talking about the, the Pharisees, and he said they, and by the way, they're in listening distance when Jesus is saying that. He, he said they tie heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their, in what he's referring to there, scriptures that they put in a leather case and put it on their forehead or on their wrist and walk around, and everyone will say, well, Man, look at all the scriptures he's carrying around with him, you know? Must be a really spiritual dude because he's got all those scriptures with him. Might be the equivalent today if we try and carry a 50-pound Bible trying to impress somebody, you know, when we're walking around and, uh, and all. But, uh, and he said, and they, and they love their place of honor at the feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. So here Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. But look at what he says. Now, if Jesus had a problem calling something for what it is, I, I don't think he would have been as straightforward as he is here. My argument is he would have corrected things in the Old Testament if Jesus thought they were wrong. Look what he says to them. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. When he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Sound like Jesus is trying to make friends with him, doesn't it? <laughs> Sound like he's trying to ignore saying anything that might cause a problem. Let's keep reading. Woe to you, blind guides. And then on, we'll jump through the passage some here. Verse 17, he says, you blind fools. You blind men. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 24, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 26, you blind Pharisee. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you're like the whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within uh, are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. He's saying you look good on the outside, on the inside you're rotten. Like a rotten, stinking corpse is what he's saying to the religious crowd, to the Pharisees. And then he goes on and said, So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Then jump on down to verse 33. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Now you tell me something. If Jesus were to make those statements to the religious crowd of that day, he would also be bold enough to correct anything about the Old Testament that needed correction. 
And he didn't do that because he believed it was true. He accepted the Old Testament to be true. Jesus also approved of the morality of the Old Testament as he talked about temptation, even his own temptation. I'm not going to read that whole passage of Scripture. You ought to be familiar with it. Jesus is being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. That every temptation that Satan presents him, Jesus says this. Jesus says, it is written. It is written. Again, it is written. And when you read that in the original language, it literally means this. By the tense of the word that's used, Jesus is saying, it is stands written. That means it was written and true when God first said it. It's still true today. It will always be true. And he used that in defense of the temptation that he's receiving. I would suggest to you that ought to be our pattern. That that's why it's important that we believe the word of God to be the word of God, because this is what needs to correct me. This is what I need to use as my guide. When Satan tempts me to do something, instead of me acting like, well, okay, that sounds like it'd be fun to do, I need to check it out by the Bible and see what the Bible has to say, and I need to base my performance and my actions upon what the Bible says, not my own opinion or the opinion of culture. Jesus believed the history of the Old Testament. Jesus believed the authority of the Old Testament. Jesus approved and pointed to the morality of the Old Testament. But Jesus also did this. He affirmed the prophecies of the Old Testament. He affirmed the prophecies. And we talked about this in detail last week. So I'm just going to give you some highlights. But as Jesus was predicting his death, he uses some words like must and will be accomplished. And it is written... It may be fulfilled. Matthew 26, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. The Old Testament talks about the Messiah being betrayed by a good friend. And even the 30 pieces of silver that we talked about last week. And Jesus said... It has to happen because it's been written, but that still doesn't make it okay for the man that does it. Woe be to the man that did that. Let's keep reading. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than the twelve legions of angels? In other words, the Father would rescue me if I ask Him to. But He goes on and says, But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. He's simply saying, me being betrayed, me going to the cross, me being crucified between two thieves. Jesus is saying, that was written, it's been prophesied, and it has to happen. Verse 56, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. In Luke's gospel, we also find this. In taking the 12, he said to them, see, we're going to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. And he's talking about the way he's going to be abused, the way he's going to be mistreated and and, and the way that he will die and be crucified. Jesus at his crucifixion, at his crucifixion, I'm jumping ahead on you just a little bit, guys. But at his crucifixion, Matthew 27 in in verse 46, he talked about it before his crucifixion. It had to be fulfilled. At his crucifixion, he said, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the fulfillment of Psalm 22, where it says that he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Luke 23, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In Psalm 31, verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Jesus, leading up to his death, said it has to happen. Jesus, during his crucifixion, quoted things that must be said And then after his resurrection, Jesus still appointed people to the Old Testament. We've already talked about this in this series, but Jesus met those two disciples that were kind of getting out of Dodge because of everything that had happened in Jerusalem. And he comes and he talks to them and he reveals himself 
to them, to where they understood it was Jesus. And then the Bible said this. Jesus said, well, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I'm just simply telling you that Jesus believed the Old Testament. And if Jesus believed the Old Testament and we're to claim we're his followers and that we're Christians, that means that we need to believe what Jesus believed. He believed the history of the Old Testament. He believed the authority of the Old Testament. He believed in the morality of the Old Testament. He believed in the prophecy of the Old Testament. But Jesus also, I think, confirms the inerrancy of the Old Testament, the inerrancy of the Scriptures. Jesus considered the Bible to be God's Word. As I mentioned a moment ago, anytime you hear Jesus say things like, have you not read? (laughs) He's saying, hey, my father's already talked about that. That's already written. It's already been stated. It's true. Have you not not read it? See, here's kind of the foundational deal with this. If God is perfect... Logically speaking, I think his word would be perfect. If God is pure, logically speaking, I think we need to assume that his word is pure. If God is without error himself, I think we ought to surmise from that 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 would mean that that it's free from error. Jesus believed the scriptures to be God's word. Here's an example of it. Genesis 2:24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. We've read this before, but I just want you to see how it was stated in the Old Testament. The man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. We don't have time for this today, but by the way, Originally, God's the one that created sex, and there wasn't anything dirty about it when he created it. We're the ones that messed it up. But later in Matthew 19, you have Jesus quoting, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made male and female, the scripture that we read earlier? Jesus is confirming. He's looking at the Old Testament. That's just one sample of it, and he's saying the Bible is true. He did it over and over and over and over again. Jesus considered the Scriptures to be eternal also. Jesus considered the Scriptures to be eternal. He said this in Matthew 5, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not one iota, some of your translations will say, not one jot, not one tittle, not one iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. That jot or tittle, the iota or the dot that's used in this translation, Jesus is talking about some of the smallest punctuation marks in the Hebrew language. It would be like us saying, you know, that period on the end of a sentence, that's really important. Or that little mark we make across an I to turn it into a T, that's really important. Well, all that Jesus is pointing out is this, none of it, even to that minute of a degree, none of it will ever pass away. Jesus viewed it to be eternal. And then Jesus also said this. Jesus said the scriptures cannot be broken. In John chapter 10, second part of verse 35, here's a quote from Jesus. (laughs) And the scripture cannot be broken. It kind of tells me a couple of things. One, the Bible's going to be okay. Amen? Let the liberal theologians come. Let the secular scholars come at it however they want to. The Bible's going to stand. It'll be okay. Now, that doesn't mean we can say, well, it's okay. Just let things go the way they're going. No, we need to stand for the validity of God's Word because people are being misled in our culture. That's why we still need to stand for it. But if the Scripture cannot be broken, that also tells me this. What this says is important. What this says has application to my life. 
Well, what this says, I need to pay attention to, and you need to pay attention to. It's not up to me, and it's not up to you to try and break it or change it. We're supposed to bring ourselves underneath the authority of Scripture. It's not the other way around. I don't have the wisdom, and you don't have the wisdom, and the person in this world that thinks they might be the smartest scientist, the smartest scholar that you could find, whether it be in theology or whether it be in secular world in some format. No one will ever, ever break the Scriptures. They're trying to convince people, and that's why we have to have this series. And Jesus gives us one of the best reasons why we need to accept the Bible as being true. Because if we don't, we're starting to attack the very fiber of who Jesus is. If we don't accept the Bible to be true, because Jesus said the Bible is true. Now, I told you earlier, I had to let Scripture speak a lot for itself today. I think that's okay. I do. I know we get used to being entertained and, you know, you like to have love illustrations or funny stories and all that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's proper, as long as it's honoring the Scriptures. And we love the music and everything like that. But, but I, I, I tell you something. It ought to be enough for us, too, just to come and sit down here. somebody read through the Bible. Because that's God's Word. And that's why we need to allow it to speak with authority in our lives. Jesus believed the history of the Old Testament, the authority of the Old Testament, the morality of the Old Testament, the prophecies of the Old Testament. Jesus believed the Old Testament was the inerrant Word of God that could not be broken. So as we get ready to have an invitation time at church where we try and reflect upon everything that's taking place and ask ourselves, God, what do you want me to do with this? God, how are you speaking to me today? As believers, if you already know for sure Christ is your Savior, just maybe you need to ask yourself, are you paying attention to what the Bible really says in your life? Is your operation manual for life the Bible? Because God gave it to us to be that purpose, one of the purposes. I'll buy things sometimes you have to put together. I'll convince myself I'm smart enough that I can put this together. I don't need to read those instructions. After all, I'm a man, right, guys? Who who needs instructions? And regrettably, too many times I've gotten kind of so far into it. (laughs) And I thought, this isn't looking right. And I'd go back and read the instructions, and I'd have to start taking things apart and putting them back together correctly. (laughs) My life, my life. Many times we'll get messed up and not look right. And I need to come back to the instruction manual and apply it to my life. So as a believer, are you doing that? That's the first part of the invitation. Do you maybe need to bring yourself underneath the authority of Jesus? If you say you're following him, you say you're a Christian, that ought to also mean this. That ought to mean that we follow what Jesus says and we agree with what Jesus says And Jesus says the Bible's true. If you're a believer that's been struggling with the validity and the truth of the Bible, maybe you need to ask God to help you during this invitation. If you're not a believer, if you're someone in this place that has never ever admitted to God that you're a sinner, that you can't save yourself, you've never ever really, really trusted Christ as your Savior, you need to bring yourself underneath the authority of Scripture. You need to agree that the Bible says you're a sinner. Quit arguing with God about it. You need to agree and understand you can't do one thing to save yourself. Jesus has already done it all on the cross. And you need to trust in Him and trust in Him alone for salvation. Let's pray.
Father, God, help us to search our hearts and be honest and transparent with you. As believers, if we have somehow been rejecting the authority of your word over our lives, Father, we ask you to forgive us. And Lord, help us to, to, to truly, truly, truly be followers of Christ and, and to understand the, the high regard that Jesus had for scriptures and how, and how we need to believe the Bible because he did. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this place that's lost without Christ, they, they've never ever believed, they've always had skepticism in their heart. Father, I pray through today or through this series, you've been speaking to them and showing them that you're real and that your word is true. Help them to admit to you right now that they are a sinner, that, they're, that they can't save themselves. They can't be good enough. Help them to, to see by faith right now and understand that Jesus paid for their sins on the cross and help them to say yes to him. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. The passage of Scripture that I've been reading at the end of the message each week, I'm just going to allude to it. You, you don't need to bring it back up, Gene. Uh, but in John, Jesus said, you can only come to the Father when He draws you. And that's why this time's really important because if you don't know Christ as your Savior and you feel God drawing you, that's the time you need to respond. There's no guarantee He'll draw you tomorrow. And you, you can come to Him by faith when He draws you. This series is about a lot of logical arguments, but logic will not save you. Only faith in Christ will save you. So please listen to the Holy Spirit of God during this song. And if God tells you, you need to come, you need to come pray, you need to come and ask how to become a Christian, whatever it is, we invite you to come. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.